Chapter Five, Part Four of the Pit. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. But as the coffee was being served, the three received a genuine surprise. Laura appeared. All her finery was laid off. She wore the simplest, the most veritably monastic of her dresses, plain to the point of severity. Her hands were bare of rings. Not a single jewel, not even the most modest ornament, relieved her sober appearance. She was very quiet, spoke in a low voice, and declared she had come down only to drink a glass of mineral water, and then to return at once to her room. As a matter of fact, she did nothing of the kind. The others prevailed upon her to take a cup of coffee. Then the dessert was recalled, and, forgetting herself in an animated discussion with Jadwin as to the name of their steam yacht, she ate two plates of wine jelly before she was aware. She expressed a doubt as to whether a little salad would do her good, and after a vehement exhortation from Jadwin, allowed herself to be persuaded into accepting a sufficiently generous amount. "'I think a classical name would be best for the boat,' she declared. "'Something like Arethusa or the Nereid.' They rose from the table and passed into the library. The evening was sultry, threatening a rainstorm, and they preferred not to sit on the stoop. Jadwin lit a cigar. He still wore his business clothes, the inevitable cutaway white waistcoat and grey trousers of the middle-aged man of affairs. "'Oh, call her the Artemis,' suggested Page. "'Well, now, to tell the truth,' observed Jadwin, "'those names look pretty in print, but somehow I don't fancy them. "'They're hard to read, and they sound somehow frilled up and fancy. "'But if you're satisfied, Laura—' "'I knew a young man once,' began Aunt Wess, "'who had a boat that was when we lived in Kenwood, "'and Mr. Wessels belonged to the Farragut, "'and this young man had a boat he called Fanchon.' He got tipped over in her one day, he and the three daughters of a lady I knew well, and two days afterward they found them at the bottom of the lake, all holding on to each other, and they fetched them up just like that in one piece. The mother of those girls never smiled once since that day, and her hair turned snow white. That was in 79. I remember it perfectly. The boat's name was Fanchon. "'But that was a sailboat, Aunt Wes,' objected Laura. "'Ours is a steam-yacht. There's all the difference in the world.' "'I guess they're all pretty risky, those pleasure-boats,' answered Aunt Wes. "'My word, you couldn't get me to set foot in one.' Jadwin nodded his head at Laura, his eyes twinkling. "'Well, we'll leave them all at home, Laura, when we go,' he said. A little later, one of Page's young men called to see her, and Page took him off into the drawing-room across the hall. Mrs. Wessel seized upon the occasion to slip away unobserved, and Laura and Jadwin were left alone. "'Well, my girl,' began Jadwin, "'how's the day going with you?' She had been seated at the center table by the drop-light, the only light in the room, turning over the leaves of The Age of Fable, looking for graceful and appropriate names for the yacht. Jadwin leaned over her and put his hand upon her shoulder. "'Oh, about the same as usual,' she answered. 
I told Page and Aunt West this morning. What did they have to say? Jadwin laid a soft but clumsy hand upon Laura's head, adding, Laura, you have the most wonderful hair I ever saw. Oh, they were not surprised, Curtis. Don't you are mussing me. She moved her head impatiently, but then smiling, as if to mitigate her abruptness, said, It always makes me nervous to have my hair touched. No, they were not surprised, unless it was that we were to be married so soon. They were surprised at that. You know, I always said it was too soon. Why not put it off, Curtis, until the winter? But he scouted this, and then, as she returned to the subject again, interrupted her, drawing some papers from his pocket. Oh, uh, by the way, he said, here are the sketch plans for the alterations of the house at Geneva. The contractor brought them to the office today. He's made that change about the dining room. Oh, exclaimed Laura, interested at once. You mean about building on the conservatory? Um, no, answered Jadwin a little slowly. You see, Laura, the difficulty is in getting the thing done this summer. When we go up there, we want everything finished, don't we? We don't want a lot of workmen clattering around. I thought maybe we could wait about that conservatory till next year, if you don't mind. Laura acquiesced readily enough, but Jadwin could see that she was a little disappointed. Thoughtful, he tugged his mustache in silence for a moment. Perhaps, after all, it could be arranged. Then an idea presented itself to him. Smiling a little awkwardly, he said, Laura, I'll tell you what, I'll make a bargain with you. She looked up as he hesitated. Jadwin sat down at the table opposite her and leaned forward upon his folded arms. Do you know, he began, I happened to think, well, here's what I mean, he suddenly declared decisively. Do you know, Laura, that ever since we've been engaged, you've never, well, you've never, never kissed me of your own accord. It's foolish to talk that way now, isn't it? But, by George, that would be, would be such a wonderful thing for me, I know, he hastened to add. I know, Laura, you aren't demonstrative. I ought not to expect, maybe, that you, well, maybe it isn't much. But I was thinking a while ago that there wouldn't be a sweeter thing imaginable for me than if my own girl would come up to me some time, when I wasn't thinking, and of her own accord put her two arms around me and kiss me. And, well, I, I was thinking about it, and he hesitated again, then finished abruptly with, and it occurred to me that you never had. Laura made no answer, but smiled rather indefinitely as she continued to search the pages of the book, her head to one side. Jadwin continued, We'll call it a bargain. Some day, before a very long, mind you, you are going to kiss me, that way, understand, of your own accord, when I'm not thinking of it, and I'll get that conservatory in for you. I'll manage it somehow. I'll start those fellows at it tomorrow, twenty of them if it's necessary. How about it? Is it a bargain? Some day before long. What do you say? Laura hesitated, singularly embarrassed, unable to find the right words. Is it a bargain? persisted Jadwin. Oh, if you put it that way, she murmured, I suppose so, yes. 
You won't forget, because I shan't speak about it again. Promise you won't forget. No, I won't forget. Why not call her the Thetis? I was going to suggest the dart, or the swallow, or the arrow, something like that, to give a notion of speed. No, I like the Thetis best. That settles it, then. She's your steam yacht, Laura. Later on, when Jadwin was preparing to depart, they stood for a moment in the hallway, where he drew on his gloves and took a fresh cigar from his case. "'I'll call for you here at about ten, he said. "'Will that do?' He spoke of the following morning. He had planned to take Paige, Mrs. Wessels, and Laura on a day's excursion to Geneva Lake to see how work was progressing on the country house. Jadwin had set his mind upon passing the summer months after the marriage at the lake, and as the early date of the ceremony made it impossible to erect a new building, he had bought, and was now causing to be remodeled, an old but very well-constructed house just outside of the town, and once occupied by a local magistrate. The grounds were ample, filled with shade and fruit trees, and fronted upon the lake. Laura had never seen her future country home, but for the past month Jadwin had had a small army of workmen and mechanics busy about the place, and had managed to galvanize the contractors with some of his own energy and persistence. There was every probability that the house and grounds would be finished in time. "'Very well,' said Laura, in answer to his question. "'At ten we'll be ready. Good night.' She held out her hand. But Jadwin put it quickly aside, and took her swiftly and strongly into his arms, and, turning her face to his, kissed her cheek again and again. Laura submitted, protesting, "'Curtis, such foolishness! Oh, dear, can't you love me without crumpling me so? Curtis, please! You are so rough with me, dear!' She pulled away from him, and looked up into his face, surprised to find it suddenly flushed. His eyes were flashing my god he murmured with a quick intake of breath my god how i love you my girl just the touch of your hand the smell of your hair oh sweetheart it is wonderful wonderful then abruptly he was master of himself again good night he said good night god bless you and with the words was gone they were married on the last day of June of that summer at eleven o'clock in the morning in the church opposite Laura's house, the Episcopalian church of which she was a member. The wedding was very quiet. Only the Cresslers, Miss Gretry, Page, and Aunt Wess were present. Immediately afterward, the couple were to take the train for Geneva Lake, Jadwin having chartered a car for the occasion. But the weather on the wedding day was abominable. A warm drizzle, which had set in early in the morning, developed by eleven o'clock into a steady downpour, accompanied by sullen grumblings of very distant thunder. About an hour before the appointed time, Laura insisted that her aunt and sister should leave her. She would allow only Mrs. Cressler to help her. The time passed. The rain continued to fall. At last it wanted but fifteen minutes to eleven. Page and Aunt Wess, who presented themselves at the church in advance of the others, found the interior cool, dark, and damp. They sat down in a front pew, talking in whispers, looking about them. 
druggeting shrouded the reader's stand the baptismal font and bishop's chair every footfall and every minute sound echoed noisily from the dark vaulting of the nave and chancel the janitor or sexton a severe old fellow who wore a skull-cap and loose slippers was making a great to-do with a pile of pew-cushions in a remote corner the rain drummed with incessant monotony upon the slates overhead and upon the stained windows on either hand page who attended the church regularly every sunday morning now found it all strangely unfamiliar the saints in the windows looked odd and unecclesiastical the whole suggestion of the place was uncanonical in the organ loft a tuner was at work upon the organ and from time to time the distant mumbling of the thunder was mingled with a sonorous prolonged note from the pipes my word how it is raining whispered aunt wess as the pour upon the roof suddenly swelled in volume but page had taken a prayer-book from the rack and kneeling upon a hassock was repeating the litany to herself it annoyed aunt wess excited aroused the little old lady was never more in need of a listener would page never be through that laura's new frock she whispered vaguely it's going to be ruined page her lips forming the words god lord deliver us fixed her aunt with a reproving glance to pass the time aunt west began counting the pews missing a number here and there and confusing herself always obliged to begin over again from the direction of the vestry room came the sound of a closing door then all fell silent again even the shuffling of the janitor ceased for an instant isn't it still murmured aunt west her head in the air i wonder if that was them i heard a door slam they tell me that the rector has been married three times page unheeding and demure turned a leaf and began with all those who travel by land or water mr cressler and young miss gretry appeared they took their seats behind page and aunt wess and the party exchanged greetings in low voices page reluctantly laid down her prayer book Laura will be over soon whispered mr cressler carry is with her i'm going into the vestry room jay has just come he took himself off walking upon his tiptoes aunt west turned to page repeating do you know they say this rector has been married three times but page was once more deep in her prayer book so the little old lady addressed her remark to the gretry girl the other however her lips tightly compressed made a despairing gesture with her hand and at length managed to say can't talk why heavens child whatever is the matter make them worse when i open my mouth i've got the hiccups aunt west flounced back in her seat exasperated out of sorts well my word she murmured to herself i never saw such girls preserve to our use the kindly fruits of the earth continued page isabel gretry's hiccups drove on wes into the fidgets uh, they got on her nerves what with them and page's uninterrupted murmur she was at length obliged to sit in the far end of the pew and just as she had settled herself a second time the door of the vestry room opened and the wedding party came out first mrs cressler 
then Laura, then Jadwin and Cressler, and then, robed in billowing white, venerable, his prayer-book in his hand, the bishop of the diocese himself. Last of all came the clerk, Osseus, perfumed, a gardenia in the lapel of his frock-coat, terribly excited, and hurrying about on tiptoe, saying, as a matter of principle. Jadwin wore a new frock-coat and a resplendent ascot scarf, which Mr. Cressler had bought for him, and Page knew at a glance that he was agitated beyond all measure, and was keeping himself in hand only by a tremendous effort. She could guess that his teeth were clenched. He stood by Cressler's side, his head bent forward, his hands, the fingers incessantly twisting and untwisting, clasped behind his back. Never for once did his eyes leave Laura's face. She herself was absolutely calm, only a little paler, perhaps, than usual, but never more beautiful, never more charming. Abandoning for this once her accustomed black, she wore a tan travelling dress, tailor-made, very smart, a picture hat with heavy plumes set off with a clasp of rhinestones, while into her belt was thrust a great bunch of violets. She drew off her gloves and handed them to Mrs. Cressler. At the same moment, Paige began to cry softly to herself. "'There's the last of Laura,' she whimpered. "'There's the last of my dear sister for me.' Aunt Wess fixed her with a distressful gaze. She sniffed once or twice and then began fumbling in her reticule for her handkerchief. "'If only her dear father were here,' she whispered huskily. "'And to think that's the same little girl I used to rap on the head with my thimble for annoying the cat. "'Oh, if Jonas could be here this day. "'She'll never be the same to me after now,' sobbed Paige. "'And as she spoke, the Gretry girl, hypnotized with emotion and taken all unawares, "'gave vent to a shrill hiccup, a veritable yelp, "'that woke an explosive echo in every corner of the building.' Page could not restrain a giggle, and the giggle strangled with the sobs in her throat so that the little girl was not far from hysterics. And just then a sonorous voice, magnificent, oro-tongued, began suddenly from the chancel with the words, Dearly beloved, we are gathered together here in the sight of God and in the face of this company to join together this man and this woman in holy matrimony. Promptly, a spirit of reverence, not to say solemnity, pervaded the entire surroundings. The building no longer appeared secular, unecclesiastical. Not in the midst of all pomp and ceremony of the Easter service had the chancel and high altar disengaged a more compelling influence. All other intrusive noises died away. The organ was hushed. The fussy janitor was nowhere in sight. The outside clamor of the city seemed dwindling to the faintest, most distant vibration. The whole world was suddenly removed, while the great moment in the lives of the man and the woman began. Page held her breath. The intensity of the situation seemed to her, almost physically, straining tighter and tighter with every passing instant. She was awed, stricken and Laura appeared to her to be all at once a woman transfigured, semi-angelic, unknowable, exalted. 
the solemnity of those prolonged canorous syllables i require and charge you both as ye shall answer at the dreadful day of judgment when the secrets of all hearts shall be disclosed weighed down upon her spirits with an almost intolerable majesty oh it was all very well to speak lightly of marriage to consider it in a vein of mirth it was a pretty solemn affair after all and she herself page dearborn was a wicked wicked girl full of sins full of deceits and frivolities meriting of punishment on that dreadful day of judgment only last week she had deceived aunt west in the matter of one of her young men it was time she stopped to-day would mark a change henceforward she resolved she would lead a new life god the father god the son and god the holy ghost to page's mind the venerable bishop's voice was filling all the church as on the day of pentecost when the apostles received the holy ghost the building was filled with a mighty rushing wind she knelt down again but could not bring herself to close her eyes completely from under her lids she still watched her sister and jadwin how laura must be feeling now she was in fact very pale there was emotion in jadwin's eyes page could see them plainly it seemed beautiful that even he the strong modern man of affairs should be so moved how he must love laura he was fine he was noble and all at once this fineness and nobility of his so affected her that she began to cry again then suddenly came the words that in the world to come ye may have life everlasting amen there was a moment's silence then the group about the altar rail broke up come said aunt west getting to her feet it's all over page come and kiss your sister mrs jadwin in the vestry room laura stood for a moment while one after another the wedding party even mr cressler kissed her when page's turn came the two sisters held each other in a close embrace a long moment but laura's eyes were always dry of all present she was the least excited here's something vociferated the ubiquitous clerk pushing his way forward it was on the table when we came out just now the sexton says a messenger boy brought it it's for mrs jadwin he handed her a large box uh, laura opened it inside was a great sheaf of jacqueminot roses and a card on which was written may that same happiness which you have always inspired in the lives and memories of all who know you be with you always yours s c the party emerging from the church hurried across the street to dearborn's home where laura and jadwin were to get their valises and handbags jadwin's carriage was already at the door they all assembled in the parlor everyone talking at once while the servants bareheaded carried the baggage down to the carriage oh wait wait a minute i've forgotten something cried laura what is it here i'll get it for you cried jadwin and cressler as she started toward the door but she waved them off crying no no it's nothing you wouldn't know where to look alone she ran up the stairs and gained the second story 
then paused a moment on the landing to get her breath and to listen. The rooms nearby were quiet, deserted. From below she could hear the voices of the others, their laughter and gaiety. She turned about and went from room to room, looking long into each, first Aunt Wess's bedroom, then Paige's, then the front sitting room, then lastly her own room. It was still in the disorder caused by that eventful morning. Many of the ornaments, her own cherished knick-knacks, were gone, packed and shipped to her new home the day before. Her writing-desk and bureau were bare. On the backs of chairs and across the footboard of the bed were the odds and ends of dress she was never to wear again. For a long time Laura stood looking silently at the empty room. Here she had lived the happiest period of her life, not an object there, however small, that was not hallowed by association. Now she was leaving it forever. Now the new life, the untried, was to begin. Forever the old days, the old life, were gone. Girlhood was gone. The Laura Dearborn that only last night had pressed the pillows of that bed, where was she now? Where was the little black-haired girl of Barrington? And what was this new life to which she was going forth under these leaden skies, under this warm mist of rain? The tears, at last, were in her eyes, and the sob in her throat, and she found herself, as she leaned an arm upon the lintel of the door, whispering, Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Then suddenly Laura, reckless of her wedding finery, forgetful of trivialities, crossed the room and knelt down at the side of the bed. Her head in her folded arms, she prayed. Prayed in the little unstudied words of her childhood. Prayed that God would take care of her and make her a good girl. Prayed that she might be happy. Prayed to God to help her in the new life, and that she should be a good and loyal wife. And then, as she knelt there, all at once she felt an arm, strong, heavy even, laid upon her. She raised her head and looked, for the first time, direct into her husband's eyes. "'I knew,' began Jadwin, "'I thought, dear, I understand, I understand.' He said no more than that, but suddenly Laura knew that he, Jadwin, her husband, did understand. And she discovered, too, in that moment, just what it meant to be completely, thoroughly understood. Understood without chance of misapprehension, without shadow of doubt, understood to her heart's heart. And with the knowledge a new feeling was born within her. No woman, not her dearest friend, not even Paige, had ever seemed so close to her as did her husband now. How could she be unhappy henceforward? The future was already brightening. Suddenly she threw both arms around his neck, and drawing his face down to her, kissed him again and again, and pressed her wet cheek to his, tear-stained like her own. "'It's going to be all right, dear,' he said, as she stood from him, though still holding his hand. "'It's going to be all right.' "'Yes, yes, all right, all right,' she assented. I never seemed to realize it till this minute. From the first time I must have loved you without knowing it. 
and i've been cold and hard to you and now i'm sorry sorry you were wrong remember that time in the library when you said i was undemonstrative i'm not i love you dearly dearly and never for once for one little moment am i ever going to allow you to forget it suddenly as jadwin recalled the incident of which she spoke an idea occurred to him oh our bargain remember you didn't forget after all i did i did she cried i did forget it that's the very sweetest thing about it end of chapter five